Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Roundtable, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers and investors in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Before we begin today's conversation, remember to keep two things in mind. All the discussion that we'll have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Now, here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup-Larsen. Welcome back to the CME Group's podcast series on managed futures, where I continue my conversation with Amy Elefante-Beidi, director of hedge strategies at Washington University Investment Management Company in St. Louis, Ernest Jafarian, who is the CEO of Efficient Capital Management, as well as Phil Hatsopoulos, who is the Global Head of Buy-Side Sales at the CME Group. Amy, as an investor, of course, uh, it's not so good news when, when we think about low performance. So how do you frame this development in your decision-making about investing in hedge funds and in managed futures uh, in general? So it's certainly something that's come up repeatedly over the past few years with the disappointing performance across hedge funds in general. And for us, probably more so there than with a specific focus on managed futures, but we could touch on both. Sure. On hedge funds broadly, we really think that the purpose in our portfolio is independent returns. And so you know, we have to look at beta exposure, which isn't very significant in our portfolio, and we still do have alpha generation taking place. So maybe not at the levels that we'd like to see, but I'm hoping that that um, returns to more of a normal situation as a little bit of assets flow out of the industry and markets return to a little bit more of a normal state. In terms of managed futures in particular, the bulk of our portfolio is exposed to equity-like risk, and as Ernest was saying, we look to them to protect performance in periods that are challenging for equities, and that's just not where we've been. So over time, we still expect non-correlated equity-like returns for CTAs over a full market cycle. Um, we're okay with that being a bumpy path. Sure, absolutely. And now, before we leave this topic of performance, I wanted again to turn to you, Phil, and just see if you've noticed any shift in terms of the landscape of managers, let's say, you know, the emerging managers or managers just simply have had to close shop because they can't attract investors in the first place in this sort of subdued performance uh, environment, which clearly impacts, of course, you know, the liquidity and the business if, if, if we have a decreased number of, of managers uh, in this space. Yeah, so, so interesting enough, I mentioned in a previous point that we've seen uh, 27 straight months of inflows. Yes. But at the same time, if you look at the, uh, the statistics that the uh, NFA, National uh, Futures Association, puts out, right, we've got the fewest uh, number of registered CTAs today since 1988, right? So, so when, when you think about what that means, right, is it because managers can't attract investors? You know, is it because... Um, you know, there's a bias towards only the, the largest will survive and there's mm -hmm. been a consolidation. But um, 
and I think it's, it's it's probably kind of healthy for the industry to have a shakeout, and and uh, you know as um, and I expect as markets kind of normalize and we come back to the period that Ernest referenced earlier, where you know in the future we'll we'll, we'll see the returns kind of mean reverting. Um, you know, you would probably see that number expand. So, you know, when we talk to some of the institutional investors, although we do, we are hearing that they're looking for um, smaller niche managers to fill particular gaps in the portfolio, and they are looking to allocate to some of the smaller hedge funds or and, and um, um, CTA managers. And at the CME, you know, we're agnostic, right? We will provide support to the smallest or the largest CTA equally. Um, you know, to help them succeed in their business. Sure, great. I also heard uh, some talk uh, recently about sort of uh, liquidity and concentration of positions among managers. Um, and in the CTA space, clearly some managers have now started to go outside the exchange traded futures, which so far has been one of the trademarks of, of the industry. And this might, of course, add some concern on the investor side. Uh, should we have another financial crisis uh, at some point, which I'm sure we will. Are these concerns that you think about, uh, Amy, do you find that CTAs are becoming more similar in the way they invest? Um, how, do you, how do you look at this, if at all? So in terms of exposure to less liquid types of contracts, that's something that I think can be quite diversifying that we are interested in doing, but maybe in a limited size which I expect would be the perspective that many investors would share. I think in terms of the overall liquidity in the market and managers behaving too similarly, I'm not horribly concerned by that just because the overall size of the industry is still significantly smaller than its historical peak. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that to be somewhat comforting. I think for me it's more a matter of capacity concerns with individual shops and the fact that if everybody's trading $50 billion dollars, you know, the diversification benefits of investing in commodities and foreign exchange tend to be, you know, significantly diminished. Sure. Ernest, a firm like yours, you spend a lot of time actually looking at the individual positions of, of the managers, I assume. And um, But when we look at performance, at least in, in my mind, uh, the return disbursement between managers is, is actually higher than I remember it to be uh, for, for quite a while. Uh, which in some ways suggests that there isn't really a concern about concentration positions and themes, um, certainly not if you take into account the actual strategy that they employ. What's been your experience in that area? Well, first, you're absolutely right about uh, many CTAs expanding, shall we say, their, their, their trading uh, programs. Uh, a trader that we've had a relationship with many year, for many years now has 30% exposure to equities. Mm. Uh, that's not why we invested. That's not what institutional investors are looking for. Sure. So since we've had a managed account forever, we still have the pure futures program. We do not participate in that expansion to keep the pure access to the CTAs. Another CTA uh, has added a 30% component to value uh, trades. Mm -hmm. uh, they're a good diversifier for the CTA, but again, when an institution comes to us, they already have their value exposure in other places. That's not what they're looking for out of the CTA space. So one of the things you do have to do is you have to ask yourself the question, am I really getting the program that I think I'm getting? Because programs do evolve. 
The other big thing that you made reference to, which is really true, is as managers' size grows, and we see every position, uh, what happens is they have to concentrate their position on the deepest, most liquid markets, which means they start to lose their diversification. The dispersion among, uh, among sort of core macro momentum managers is usually easily traced to where they have their exposure. Do they have a heavier exposure in equities or in FX uh, uh, or some other sector? And that sector gave opportunities, another sector didn't give opportunity. So uh, we find that in our portfolio, we, we tend to give about 30% of our exposure to core sort of traditional momentum mm -hmm. and try to keep it pure, not let the other elements slip in. But then use 70% of the exposure to unique and diversifying managers within the CTA space. Mm -hmm. And most people don't realize how broad this, this space is. But then that allows for a balanced exposure across multiple sectors because a smaller manager can still play really effectively in the less liquid markets. But it takes a combination of managers to get that access. One can't just go to one large CTA and, and, sure. and get that balance. Sure, sure, very true. If I can bring up one other topic uh, in uh, in this question, it would be smart beta versus traditional managed futures. Because if we're concerned about products that are becoming too similar, I think we should be concerned about the smart beta. As there are fewer ways in my opinion, of being different when it comes to creating a simple replication strategy. And thus, strategies could indeed end up being very similar in their approach and also in their positioning. Ernest, what's your view on, on that? Is, 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 is it a smart decision for investors to use a, a cheap alternative or is it true that you kind of get what you pay for? Yeah, there's two different sides to that question. But let me just say that because of the, uh, in my, from my perspective, overemphasis on the fee question, uh, many times we've seen people invest just because they got the best deal. Okay. That's not the best idea. Sure. Uh, in our core product, we can invest in any CTA program of any type. So if we see a program at 50 basis points and zero, and net of fees, we feel it's significantly uh, superior to other investments we have. We're not constrained uh, at all. We certainly can invest. Have we yet and made that investment? No. And the reason is because of all of our mathematical analysis, we still think that getting the best thinking of a manager provides the best value. Mm -hmm. The only question then is, what's the appropriate compensation? Mm -hmm. So I understand the movement towards smart beta. Mm -hmm. Uh, I understand the focus on fees, but I say getting the best thinking of a manager in the CTA space is the best value proposition. Let's talk about what the right level of compensation is. Now, another theme that I have met uh, a lot in my traveling is this whole fixed income ghost that uh, a lot of investors are worried about when they see that managers uh, are still long bonds or still long short-term interest rates uh, at the moment. And I, I just wanted to, to ask uh, whether this is a valid concern. I mean, should investors really be 
worried about individual positions when clearly in the CTA space they are buying a systematic process that is not predicated on forecasting uh, anything. And, and that's kind of part of the diversification they're getting from these managers, unlike the discretionary managers. I don't know who wants to go first on, on this one, but should investors really be that detailed in their concerns? To me, if you have looked at drivers of returns over time and gotten comfortable with the fact that they come from diverse places, it doesn't make sense to be overly concerned about this in the in the long term. Um, in the short term, it seems as if choppy rates are causing problems for some strategies. But I think all the studies have shown that longer term trend following can do very well across all types of bond markets. But this question certainly continues to come up. Mm. Uh, I've been in this business long enough to remember when rates went up. <laughs> sure. And the CTAs did very well in that environment. Um, but just an interesting data point. Um, our core portfolio has uh, exposure to well over 20 managers. It reversed its rate position this last week. Now, it's a very small position. It could flip back again. But I think people don't appreciate the fact that Positions among disciplined systematic traders and well-thought methodologies, they're responsive. And actually, I personally believe that if rates were to reverse and go up, it's kind of the opposite of stocks, right? You don't worry about stocks crashing up, but you do worry about them crashing down. Rates, if, if the economy starts to heat up, can crash up. And to the same way that people look for CTAs and say, I need some protection in a serious negative event in the stock market. I think they need to say, I need some serious protection in a serious, very fast rise in interest rates. Now, I'm not predicting that. I don't believe personally that that's going to happen in any reasonable short time frame. But I do not concern myself with the fact that CTAs would capture that. They would capture that move. Absolutely. I want to bring our conversation to a close with a few short questions, if you don't mind. And I would love to hear your different opinions as you represent three different parts of the managed futures industry. What's the biggest threat and what's the biggest opportunity for the managed futures industry as we head into 2017? And if I could start with you, Phil, on this one. Well, it's always hard to know what the biggest threat is, right? I mean, you won't know until after after you've seen it or it's behind you, right? But, but you know, um, markets that don't behave as you'd expect, government intervention, right? We, we've seen with, um, you know, with the bond buying, right? What what that's done to 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 distort correlations and, and make trend following very difficult, right? So, so I think that remains a, a, a risk going into 2017 and then, you know, the volatility, right, in, in Brexit and, you know, what are the markets going to look like going forward? Um, and then also uh, a different risk is, you know, we've read about this, this shift into passing and passive investing, um, right? We were coming up on seven and a half years of a bull market in equity and, you know, memories are short, sure. right? And so people are thinking, oh, you know, look at the returns on, on, on the S&P index, even though they're completely uncomparable, un- in my opinion, sure. but but the risk there is you this momentum gain speed into 2017 if the bull market continues, where people take money out of active into passive. Sure, sure, absolutely. Ernest, what do you think of 
Yeah, I'm not worried about the markets. That's not the biggest threat. I mean, people should remember that the futures markets were the only markets to stay open all the way through Black Monday when I, I was a floor trader back then. I think the single biggest threat to the uh, CTA world is, is a regulatory threat. Mm -hmm. uh, regulations could destroy the industry. Uh, so, for example, uh, if a tax, if, if all transactions started to get taxed, it could become cost ineffective to trade the financial markets because of the of the fee load that's sure. being placed on them. Or, and we've seen this already happen, right? Where um, regulators, in their infinite wisdom, say, uh, "You know what? Uh, we can't allow any short trades right now because we don't want to take any chance of somebody trying to push the market down." Well, now you don't have a true free trading market, and you, you know it destroys the ability to trade uh, the market appropriately. Uh, if the regulatory uh, reporting requirements rise to an unreasonable level, and the pure costs of just your infrastructure needs to support your business to meet all the regulatory reporting requirements can really sabotage smaller competitive businesses. So the good news is we've got a pretty effective market system. Mm -hmm. uh, we can handle you know, financial crises. Uh, let's just all work together to make sure that the regulatory side of the business uh, stays at an appropriate level. Sure, sure. Amy, any thoughts on, on this? I suppose coming at it from more of a performance perspective, mm -hmm. I think the biggest threat is that the crisis alpha properties that we're all looking for are somehow diminished by a factor that we're not anticipating. I'm not predicting that that will happen, but um, it's been a frustrating patch of late for the medium-term guys with markets being kind of choppy and range-bound. And I tend to think of managed future strategies as being kind of agnostic to the macro environment, but it's been a prolonged period that's been a little frustrating for sure. Sure. I want to stay with you for a little while longer and just ask you, when it comes to investing in, in managed futures, um, what's been the biggest challenge for, for you, probably as an organization, not necessarily mm -hmm. for you as an individual, to overcome in order to embrace this space? So we're committed to the concept that these are strategies that offer protection to an equity portfolio that we really need. Um, and that they're unique in that they offer positive expected returns while doing that. The problem is twofold, and maybe these issues are interlinked. I mentioned the bias among institutional investors that these strategies are black boxes, um, and that tends to be somewhat paired with a little bit of a reluctance historically in the industry to give significant transparency to investors where they can get comfortable. And I have joked in prior conversations about having having a meeting that felt more like you were talking about having a meeting than mm -hmm. having an actual meeting where you learned something about what the manager did. And, you know, I think it's really, at a minimum, reasonable for investors to have a sense of how trading systems are developed, what they're designed to do, what situations would work well or not work well for those strategies. And it can be a very long education process in some cases for us to get managers to see that we need that information and that having a well-informed investor, you know, can mean having a longer tenured investor, which serves everybody well. In some cases, we just have never gotten there and have had to pass on allocating to, to certain firms. So that's sort of a start of the conversation. And once we have gotten comfortable 
being able to communicate internally that these are a different flavor of a important partnership that you know performs a role that's fundamentally comprehensible you know that's a another element that's also challenging sure now it's said that if somebody wants what you're selling the only thing that stands in the way of them getting it is fear so Ernest how does the managed futures industry remove that fear that some investors clearly have of this strategy I don't know that the managed futures industry can. Uh, we've developed some financial engineering techniques that can move risk more from the investor to the manager, and that can certainly help. But I do agree, and I, I value the role that the CME plays. Education is so important. And uh, ultimately, the investor has to do the, the hard work of understanding the characteristics of the space Because if they don't, I can assure you that they will divest at absolutely the wrong time, and then they will invest again absolutely at the wrong time. Uh, so education, uh, and that's not something a manager can sell in a presentation sitting across from the table talking about how good their returns are. That's something that we have to all collectively in the industry do is commit to helping people really understand the character of the space so that people will invest for the right reasons and with the right time horizon. Sure. So we've talked about a few of the key topics uh, in this conversation today. Is there any question you feel that's really important that i didn't ask you that you want to share as we come to the end of our conversation. I feel like you've asked several very good questions. I think from uh, an institutional investor's perspective as they kind of go through the, the process of making the decision to allocate. Um, again, you know, going back to your previous question about fear, you know, the best way to overcome fear is knowledge. And, and so you fear the unknown. So the more they learn and reach out and take advantage of resources available, Um, certainly by the CME group to help educate them on managed futures would uh, would certainly help in making them ultimately reach the decision of allocating. Sure. Well, I would just make a concluding comment that um, the managed futures space from an investor's perspective uh, is a complex arena. Uh, we have over 8,000 CTA programs in our database. I think engaging the help of people that have dedicated themselves to managed future space is important. And I don't mean that uh, in a self-serving way. Uh, tapping into the resources at the CME uh, is, a, is a good example of that. There's a lot of good literature. Uh, so I would just say that it's really important to not come in just saying, well, I'll, I'll buy this manager, I'll buy that manager. It's really important to actually do the heavy lifting Uh, of research and rely on people that have focused their careers in this way. Sure. I suppose my only remaining comment is just that there, I think, is a lot of tension between optimal portfolio construction and optics that we can all live with. And so that's just something that I think all investors need to grapple with in their own way. Sure. Absolutely. Amy, Phil, Ernest, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and opinions on Managed Futures. I really appreciate your openness during our conversation today. And to our listeners around the world, let me finish by saying that I hope we were able to, or you were able to take something with you 
on your journey in the investment world. And if you did, please share these episodes with your friends and colleagues and send us a comment and let us know what topics you want us to bring up in the upcoming conversations with industry leaders in the managed future space. From me, Nils Kostoblarsen, thanks for listening and I look forward to being back with you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Roundtable. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes or SoundCloud and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review on iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you on the next episode of Top Traders Roundtable.